from the land of adventure and diversity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. It's new, it's different, it's a challenge. My biggest fear is simple, it's not making it up. Another 30 years, maybe another century, and all of that might be gone. Stuff will definitely help us walk through the mist and the rain. Uh, first objective today is to get up the Ranko Wall, which the guides tell us is more intimidating in looks than it actually is to climb. We'll find out how that is. Um, back's all fixed, sort of. I've been pumped full of painkillers, but that should be enough to get me through the day, I think. So, let's get on, shall we? The Barranca Wall is a 250-meter-high rock face that we slowly ascend. Frankly, it's amazing how the porters and the heavy burdens skillfully navigate their way up. It's wet and it's slippery, and there's a surge in the number of climbers now that we are in the final days of our trek. For two more days, we continue walking through some incredible landscapes. We're back on the cusp between climatic zones, so sometimes we're surrounded by lush greenery, other times just volcanic dust and rocks. Throughout our climb, the porters and guides have been heroic. Our team is constantly blown away by what they can provide in what really are fairly hostile conditions. Comfortable camps, great food, and it's always delivered with a smile, even when they're carrying extremely heavy loads. An army marches on its stomach, and frankly, so do we. And the meals here, frankly, have been absolutely excellent. You would not believe what comes out of this particular tent. Let's go check out the conditions in They actually do cook. This, despite what it might look like, is where three-course meals get banged out on a daily basis. And it just gives you a sense of, you know, all the odors of home. Garlic being crushed, the meat being sliced up. It's all in here. Your starters, your main course, your dessert. And it's all been locked out by this excellent team of cooks that we have. I tell you, these guys are amazing. And they've kept us fed, energetic, getting the job done. To be honest, really, they're the real heroes of this trip because without them, without this logistical support, none of this will be possible. Despite their job being extremely tough, not all porters are looked after or paid well. 
Some earn as little as $5 a day. However, organizations like the Kilimanjaro Porters Assistance Project exist and have made a real difference to the lives of these genuine heroes of the mountain. They try and ensure good conditions, equipment and pay for all porters. If you're thinking of booking a Kilimanjaro climb, it's hugely important that you check if your company is genuinely affiliated with one of the porter welfare groups. Right, um, so this is our early morning ritual, breaking camp, but also making sure that the weight limits aren't exceeded. Each porter can carry more than 20 kilos. Um, it's happening every single day of camp, and this is basically everything you need to keep us going. Food, clothes, rations, the lot. Now, despite the enormous logistical effort that this involves, this is only one part of what you need to actually keep an expedition of this size running very strongly. Obviously, shooting up here 12,000, 18,000 feet isn't an easy job and it's a long, long task. So you do need an enormous amount of electricity to pull that off as well. And that's where that little generator comes in. And she's been running the entire time. Production team think it's a good idea for me to have a taste of what it takes to be a porter up here on Kilimanjaro. The challenge is a fairly simple one. 100 paces up the hill. What's up? Okay. Let's go. I enjoy it because if once I climb like a porter, I get the money, and uh, that money they give me, let's say, good life. My legs are on fire. It's amazing these guys can do this day in, day out. You need a lot of fitness to pull this off. These guys are amazing. We're really high up now close to 4,600 meters. The wind is buffeting us, the air is numbingly cold, the light is strange, and it's exhausting to walk. The landscape seems barren and empty, but if you look carefully, there are glimpses of life everywhere. Our next camp is our last, before we make for the summit early tomorrow morning. If all goes well, we'll soon be standing beside the glaciers and the snow that we've had tantalizing glimpses of ever since we started our climb. But it's not going to be an easy day. It is at least a six-hour trek and the risk of altitude sickness looms larger than ever. After all we've been through, not making it would be devastating. It is the night before we attempt to get to the highest point in Africa. The team is camped on a rocky outcrop at Barafu camp 
an eerily beautiful location of four and a half kilometers above sea level. We are all tired, but the mood is one of hushed excitement as we near our goal. So tomorrow's D-Day. After many, well, what feels honestly like a month of walking. Um, it's the gradient, I think, that's the scary part. Because as a crow flies, we're five kilometers away from the peak. But we've got to gain, we have to gain a four kilometer in height and it's going to be cold like really really cold i've never been in sub-zero temperatures before i think that's going to be the hardest part of this dealing with the cold my biggest fear is simple it's not making it up there early from our tent to begin what is hopefully our last section of uphill trekking. The mountain kindly provides us with a spectacular dawn as a fitting backdrop to the final stage of our adventure. It's slow going on shifting scree and we're all expecting the symptoms of altitude sickness to hit at any moment. But Simon, our guide, is cautiously optimistic. Everyone is, seems having the spirit of moving forward, getting up to toward the top. Uh, it's going to be a long day and we are expecting that. Uh, Komojaro, we all think of it's a walkabout, but it's, it's not a walkabout, it's the mountain. So people have to be very aware of uh, the high altitude mountain, it can take a life very quickly. Despite the fears, I can't help but think back to the first people and their guides who tried to climb this mountain. It is difficult enough with modern equipment and a well-trodden path. It's bewildering to consider the toughness and determination needed by the climbers on these slopes in the late 1800s. Plus, they were going into it blind. They didn't know what was up there. We're level with the Redmond Glacier, which means we're nearly at stellar point on the rim of Kibo's crater. Uhuru Peak, the highest point in Africa, is an hour or so on from here. We're at 18,000 feet. The only guys who ever get to this level need engines and pressurized cabins to get here. We walked. This is like 45 kilometers from where we started. 45 kilometers. And you're at 18,000 feet. Yes, the air is thinner, it's cold, but you can breathe. And the glaciers everywhere. Ah, we're almost there. But day's not over yet. We just finished 90% of it. Up there. 
It's a little odd that a lump of rock on the rim of Kibo's crater, which is slightly higher than the hundreds of others around it, can be such a draw to thousands of trekkers every year. But when you're up here and you've walked so far, you can think of little else except getting to that famous landmark. I'm close now. I'm exhausted. And I have to stop frequently, but I can see the sign marking the peak in the distance. Talk about Kilimanjaro. More often than not, it's about stuff like this getting to the top and then taking a bunch of pictures over there and game over. But the truth of the matter is, there is so much more to this glorious mountain, the highest freestanding one in the world. It's about time we explored it. From the top of Africa, the only way for the team now is down. But we will be going off the tourist trail and attempting to show you some of Kilimanjaro's magical frozen landscapes and vanishing hidden treasures before it's too late. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. From the land of adventure and diversity come tales of survival, success and ingenuity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. We are at the highest point in Africa, on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. We're going to explore the summit and to do that, we need to move on to what must be the highest campsite in Africa. There is no set trail to where we're going, and for a snow and ice rookie like me, it's going to be an interesting cross-country trek. The center of Kibo summit is a near perfect example of a volcanic ash pit. And it's one of the most breathtaking sights you will ever see. It 
it's easy to forget that Kibo is still an active volcano, even though the last major eruption is estimated to have been over 350,000 years ago. At last, our camp is in sight. Settled at the foot of the northern ice field, and surely one of the most dramatic places to spend a night. The guides told us that sleep may be hard to come by at such a height. And yet, being awake in such a unique place isn't really a bad thing. With morning comes a clear day and a chance to explore a truly magical landscape. The height we're at is causing problems for some of the team. We learned last night that one of our team didn't make it up due to some severe effects of the altitude. Even the team of guides and porters, people used to working at this level, has been reduced in order to limit the number of them exposed to the harsh conditions. Despite this, our camp seems as well-maintained as ever, and the day-to-day -day tasks are carried out as usual. The snow and ice of Kilimanjaro are as widely talked about today as they were when the first European explorers set eyes on Kilimanjaro's white peak. Back then, the idea of a snow-capped mountain so close to the equator was greeted with disbelief and ridicule. These days, through rising temperatures and reduced precipitation, it's that the snow and ice is vanishing at such an alarming rate that's making the headlines. And they're disappearing not because of any large increase in temperature up here, but, believe it or not, due to a lack of snow. If ice is melting at its normal rate, but there's no precipitation to replenish the glacier, it will inevitably vanish. This year, with higher than normal snowfall during the region's short rains, the height of the northern ice field has grown by 4 meters back to its level in 2011. Because it's still a big glacier, snow can pile up on top and freeze solid. However, the total area of the northern ice field continues to reduce as it takes a huge amount of snow to expand a glacier sideways. This glacier used to extend to like way over there. Just over the ridge, this ridge in front of us, in the small ice patch. Yeah. Well, since I came to the northern ice field, the glacier used to be there. So how long, based on various estimates, until this disappears? Well, based on uh, some publication or some scientific I'm working with, they say this might last up to 30 years the remaining of the northern ice field as the biggest glaciers, yeah. unless otherwise something terrible will go wrong that might take the glaciers more quicker. So this is the weather station for Universal Innsbruck. This has uh, several things going on here. Every time there's a glacier here, they can tell by looking at the temperature. And so these are the temperature and these are the wind speed. So when they take it down and they can analyze it, the weather pattern throughout the years. This was put in, in 2003. Yeah. Um, before then, the glacier was permanently here. Yeah. 
and uh, you can see how much of a glacier has been retrieved. That's all right. Kilimanjaro, as high as it is, is where we can actually get a result of the global warming or weather parameters all the way down to Madagascar, if you wish. The glaciers are pushed out by the wind. If you look at the pattern of the cloud now, you can see how they're collecting. Mm -hmm. And soon enough, you're going to see them moving whoop, to the peak of Kilimanjaro, and then they drop down. So when they drop down, that's where it becomes crystal, uh, ice crystal. It's time to leave, but I have been struck by how this amazing place is changing. The really tragic part is a lot of this stuff is disappearing. Where I'm standing now, for example, used to be under that glacier. Give it another 30 years, maybe another century, and all of that might be gone. Right. Glacier. Lots of virgin snow. You know how this is going to end, don't you? Snow angels! Ah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I have thought of them as many times. But obviously... Ah. Um, only two places you can do this. This is one. Mount Kenya is the other. Yeah, but well that's the only thing I'm going to take from the mountain. Snow angels. Ah. Ah. Job done. It's a bit clumsy, but cool. I am sad to be leaving, but I'm also very pleased to be heading home. It has been an unmatchable experience exploring Kilimanjaro, and the team have learned a lot about the mountain and ourselves. We were lucky that our time up here coincided with higher than usual snow cover, so we saw it as most now don't get the chance to. My last feeling is that if an urban dweller like me can get up here, then anyone can. And what you see and learn looking down on the rest of the continent will make an impression on you forever. We should be very proud of places like this and protect them however possible so that people in generations to come can also marvel at the white roof of Africa. Best days, I've got two of those. Getting to the top, obviously, is a big, big deal. That's... I put this in my bucket list years ago, but I didn't think I'd be doing it before I was 30. But I've done that two years in advance, okay, that's a plus. Um, the Barranco Wall, that was fun. Because it looks, it was the perfect example of Something might be intimidating, but if you put your mind to it, you can crack it. And that was the only part of the climb where you had any serious 
rock climbing. We actually had to stop using poles and using hands and feet to move around, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that was, those are my best days. It's very challenging for a cameraman because uh, you have to keep yourself fit. You have to look up on your camera, your equipment. Then uh, for the last 12 years as a cameraman, this is my first challenging shoot I did. Then uh, I, I'm happy I did. Whatever I did, where I reached, I feel happy. I feel I think my worst day was the trek from the Mtinkubo camp to Shira 1. Because I knew it's easy for you to say, okay, yeah, it's a 700 meter climb, but it's another thing entirely, especially if you've never done it before. It's another thing entirely to actually do it. And you're doing it in the rain in the mud with virtually no grip that was hell and i don't think by that time it gotten into the rhythm of the mountain so you to quote what our, our guy joel says you've got to drink before you're thirsty and you have to eat before you're hungry by the time i stopped to do that i was gone completely gone So, uh, we are on the roof of Africa with George and Robinson. And what is your name? James. And James, sorry James, it's high altitude. And Andrew, thank you to Simon at Sene for getting us here. It's been a mad trip, but we're here. You are welcome again. Thank you very much, my friends. Welcome. Woo!